Welcome to Belfast City Vineyard, where we are pursuing formation in the presence of Jesus, community gathered around Him, and the impact He empowers us to bring in our families, city, and the world. The following message was given at one of our Sunday services. For more information, visit our website at BelfastCityVineyard.com. Well, good afternoon. How are you guys doing? Good. Good. Well, if we've not met before, my name's Andy, and it is great to be with you this afternoon. And uh, I'm just going to adjust this here. There we go. And if you're with us online, you're really, really welcome. We are grateful that you are joining with us. We are going to be in Mark chapter 7, verses 1 to 23. So if you have a Bible or a phone or something, you can flip over there. Um, we are, as, as probably is obvious, continuing on with our sermon series in Mark. Pete uh, spoke from Mark chapter 6 last week. You can catch up with that on our website. And again, we're jumping into Mark chapter 7, verses 1 to 23. It's a big passage. I need to start my timer uh, because I'm going to have some help uh, in just a few minutes' time. Uh, some of our youth are going to come in. Uh, they're busy praying for you right now um, and asking the Lord what he might have for you. Uh, and so then at the, uh, when my timer goes off, they're going to turn up here. I need to stop talking, and they're going to pray for you and uh, invite the Lord's presence. So, so be excited about that. And we've got a lot of verses to cover. It's, it's um, working without a net tonight, today. So uh, Mark chapter 7, verses 1 to 23. And in these verses, we're going to see a couple things. We're going to see Jesus enter into really serious conflict with the religious leaders of the day. And just right off the bat, there's a lot of complicated things in here, and it'd be really tempting for us to think that, again, as we've seen before, this is Mark bringing up some pretty obscure practices, and Jesus is debating with religious leaders about rituals and rules, and look, frankly, none of it, Andy, is very interesting or has anything really to say to me. You'd be sort of forgiven for saying or thinking something. You're too polite to say it, but you might think it, right? But very quickly, Jesus is actually going to get to the heart of a question that I think is plaguing our world today. And that question is what makes us clean? Or how do I know that I'm good or not good? Isn't that something our world's wrestling through right now? You know, on the one hand, you've probably heard, maybe you've felt this, you know, that we've become enlightened, right? We're not like, uh, you know, those people in centuries back, you know, we can leave God behind and we can leave religion behind. You know, that was a primitive thing. Our ancestors, they did all that stuff and they did that to keep people in line and to kind of explain the world. But we have science now and science explains the world around us. And anyway, we're beyond moral absolutes. Besides, we're all kind of basically good. And as long as you pursue love, like, and nobody gets hurt, then each to his own. And you've maybe heard a worldview articulated like that. You hear it a lot, actually, if you just read the newspaper, go online, and things like that. You know, if there is a God, and there probably isn't, he's uninterested and isn't holding anyone or anything to any high standard of morality or purity. So you should just not be uptight, and you should relax and enjoy your life. You know, have brunch or something like that. But at the same time, so that's kind of one side, right? And we all, whether we 
are like, oh, I don't know if I've we, we kind of recognize that, right? But at the same time, what else do we have? We have epidemics of addiction, anxiety, fear. Our culture is obsessed with rightness or goodness or at least appearing to be good. And we work really, really hard to prove ourselves. And if we just get to the next achievement, we're going to be okay, only to find out when we get to that next achievement, it doesn't quite hit what's actually the longing in our hearts. One look at social media shows us that we can be, uh, that we can certainly be obsessed with acceptance and appearing good and successful and clean. You know, we live in a world that has moved beyond God, that doesn't believe in things like holiness and judgment, but has grown anxious, unclear, and scrupulous, just like the Pharisees that Jesus met. So Jesus in Mark's gospel is going to be speaking right into our times and right into our age. And he's going to tell us that what makes us clean or unclean is actually a matter of the heart. So let's jump in. Hope you're excited. Uh, Always wash your hands. Great advice. We're going to begin with uh, verses 1 to 4. They'll pop up here, and I'll be referencing them in a second. Uh, But it says that some Pharisees and teachers of the law gathered around Jesus. Now, who were the Pharisees? The Pharisees were this revivalist holiness movement within the Judaism of Jesus' day. They They meant serious business. Their name means holy ones or set apart ones. They were a movement dedicated to the keeping of Torah or God's law or commandments. As a result, they were obsessed with ritual purity and holiness, and they fled from anything that rendered them unclean in the sight of God. And it all came out of a really good place. It came out of a place of passion and love for God. Uh, But as we are about to see, they took it to extremes. And we'll see in verse 2 here that's flying up on the screen that the Pharisees confront Jesus because they notice that some of his disciples are eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed, Mark tells us. So, and they're not that concerned about hygiene, although it's always good to wash your hands, right? Um, What they were concerned about was if you didn't do the ritual washings, it rendered you ritually unclean. And they believe that without this, they're at risk of being impure or unclean before God. And we're going to see in verses three and four that Mark is going to just insert as like an editor here. He's going to talk as Mark, um, not just relating uh, the preaching of Peter and, and other things. And he's explaining his first audience, the first readers and hearers of his gospel were Roman Gentiles. And they just wouldn't have known about some of the traditions of the Jews. So this is him explaining it. He says, the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. Remember that phrase. Uh, When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So Mark gives us this really helpful explanation about what on earth everybody's talking about here. Uh, And so he explains um, that they washed themselves, they had all these different rituals, they washed objects for use in the home um, in case something from the outside uh, makes them clean, unclean, sorry, unclean on the inside. So for the Pharisees, what made you unclean or unacceptable before God was things you did You could willfully violate a commandment, that's bad, Uh, but also things you come in contact with or happen to you or touch you or that you you touch, like a contamination, right? And if you scrupulously avoid that stuff or do external rituals, you can stay clean. 
Uh, it's outside in. External things make you unclean. Jesus is going to argue the opposite. And show them that their obsession with external holiness blinds them to ways that they are actually willfully violating God's law. And in verse 5, we see them ask the big question. Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders? That phrase again. Instead of eating their food with defiled Hands. Okay, got to go fast. We've got to explain this. In the Judaism of Jesus' day and now, you have the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, our Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Okay? Uh, and Torah, it means instruction or law. And Jesus often refers to like the law of Moses when we are reading about him in the Gospels. And in that written law, Genesis to Deuteronomy, you have roughly 613 different types of laws or commands, depending on how you count them. Okay, And some are about how, did you, how you spent your time before God, like Sabbath and things like that, festivals and all sorts of things like that. Some were how do you approach God, and lots were around ritual purity, what makes you unclean before God and how you fix that. And on the list for things that make you unclean were touching most types of bodily fluids or discharges, touching a dead body. Uh, females at certain times during their monthly cycle, a woman after childbirth, and types of people could make you unclean, like Gentiles, Samaritans, and lepers. And you probably, if you've ever read the Gospels before, you hear Jesus debating with the Pharisees and others about all this type of thing and meeting some of these kinds of people, and it's a big deal, and people get angry at him. Uh, and I want to stress that some of these things in the law weren't, didn't mean that you'd sinned. So a woman who's had a baby, that's a blessed thing. She hasn't sinned. She hasn't done anything wrong. It's just a state that she's in, that she had to do some things, some ritual washings and things like that, for lots of different complicated reasons, which are actually very interesting, we don't have time to get into. Um, I actually read a tractate from the Mishnah this week, which goes on and on and on and on and on about childbirth and things like that, and cleanliness or uncleanliness, if you can believe it. So I read these things so you don't have to, okay? Anyway, it wasn't always that someone had sinned, okay? It, the, the law intended to train people how to live in God's presence and how he sets his people apart to be different than the other nations around them and to handle his presence in their midst, okay? Also, it was there to give everyday objects and moments and actions holy and divine significance and to draw people closer to the living God through them. Okay, so it wasn't always you had to do these rituals because you were a dirty, rotten sinner. It's just situational sometimes. But what happened anyway over time was that that 600 and whatever plus laws and commands had to be applied to every different conceivable situation in life. So what developed around the written Torah or law right, was the oral tradition or the tradition of the elders, okay, which comes up here, which was the ruling and the debating of the rabbis over centuries on how to put those 613 laws into practice at different times. A good example of that is uh, we, you know, Sabbath regulations right, uh, and to do no work on the Sabbath day. Okay, that's in the written law. Well, what's work? What can you do? What can you not do? Well, again, that's where this tradition of the elders came in. And endless comment on what is work and what you could do and couldn't do on the Sabbath. There's a theologian here called James Edwards says, the oral tradition, or the tradition of the elders, on the other hand, prescribed in infinite detail 
how the intent of Torah or the written law ought to be fulfilled in actual circumstances. So this tradition of the elders grew up around the law and it's how the rabbis themselves interpreted and how they made rules and what you could and couldn't do and how you applied the law that God gave. But especially the Pharisees often went further and strove for holiness above and beyond what the law prescribed. Hand washing before eating as in our passage here, is a really good example. In the written law of Moses, only the priests who are serving the tabernacle or the temple wash their hands, do this ritual washing, right? And part of the sacrificial system, the priests and their families got to keep a part of what was sacrificed by the people for their meals. That's how God looked after them, okay? And so it's prescribed, book of Exodus, it's gonna fly up right here. They wash and then eat what, eat, um, what has been sacrificed according to their service, okay? But that's it, right? That's what's in the written law. That the priests are supposed to do this as part of their priestly service, and that was it. No one else is required to do that, ever. But by the time Jesus' day rolls around, the tradition of the elders said that, well, if it's a good idea for the priests to do this at certain times, it has to be a great idea for all of us to do this all the time. So something that was meant for one thing it's, we should just, in case somebody ever sins somewhere, we should all do this, right? One of those types of deals, right? They went further and further, and everybody should do this. See, the, the, the Pharisees, they wanted the nation to be holy, which is a good thing to want, but they focused on the things that are external, what you touch or what you come into contact with or who you come into contact with, and often ignored the deeper things, the matters of the heart. And they end up burdening people and themselves with things that God never asked them to do. And it produced a scrupulous perfectionism masquerading as holiness. But see, it's not just the Pharisees of Jesus' day that we get to kick around and complain about. See, many of us, if we're honest, fear God and cannot live in his love because of our own exactness and perfectionism and struggle with his grace. And we know what it's like for that to kind of turn inward on ourselves. And we know what it's like to experience perfectionism. It's not as like one of those job interviews you do where like, what are your weaknesses? Well, perfectionism. I'm just, I just work too hard. Please give me a job. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the corrosive, destructive type of perfectionism that easily turns to self-hatred and the rejection of self. And the reason I know so much about that is that's been a big part of my story. And I'm betting that it's been a part of many of our stories. Well, Jesus is going to speak to you today. He's even going to minister to us today by his Holy Spirit. And so if you are in torment because of exacting perfectionism or you're trying to be right all the time to force God to make his face shine upon you, I'm praying that you and me experience the mercy and grace of Jesus. Well, 
we need to get moving. Uh, Jesus doesn't hold back when he speaks to them. We're going to look at verses 6 and 7. His answer to them when they ask him, why don't your disciples do the ritual hand washings, is Isaiah, the prophet, was right when he prophesied about you. (laughs) Hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. So he first calls them hypocrites, which is bad. Then he quotes Isaiah the prophet, saying, Isaiah was talking about you guys. Really, this is like, I don't know if he could be more insulting or scathing to them. You know, you worship with your lips, but your actions in your heart are contrary to what your lips proclaim. And God, through Isaiah, says your worship is in vain. And your teaching is merely human teaching. And it is a devastating critique. And then he keeps going. He, he's getting, just getting warmed up here. So he follows it up in verse 8. With you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. Ouch. So why is he saying this? Well, it's not just that they go further than the law requires and burden people. They actually ignore parts of the law, the things they know that they should do, and they follow their own way. He goes on in verse 9, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. In other words, you prioritize your rulings and your tradition versus what God actually said for the people to do. And then he gives an example, which is going to sound completely crazy and alien to us. So I'm going to have to explain it to you. So let's read about it. He says, uh, he's, he's talking about something called Corbin. Okay? You're, I hear you asking, what on earth is Corbin? Well, he's going to say, for Moses said, honor your father and mother. That's in the Ten Commandments, right? And anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. That's also in the law. Uh, awkward, but it's there. Uh, but you might say, but, but you say that if anyone declares what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corban, that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father and mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. Okay, what on earth is this thing called Corban? Well, honor your father and mother. It's the fifth commandment of the Ten Commandments, again, in the law of Moses. And the rabbis, or tradition of the elders, developed a category for possessions and goods called korban, which means offering in Hebrew and Aramaic. You could declare something that you owned. could be a house, could be a field, could be something that produced income. You could declare it korban, or an offering unto God. Okay, which again, it just means I'm dedicating this thing to God. Well, what would happen is you could dedicate something to God, but it would only pass to the temple, to the priests, uh, upon your death. Okay, so you could still use it while you're alive, but you could tell people it was Corbin. In other words, it belongs to God so that you don't have to share it. Little loophole there. Or use it to take care of your dependents like your parents. And you get to look holy and generous, but keep your stuff. It's like saying, I'm going to tithe. <laughs> and then it, you just spend it on yourself. So a little bit like that. So the, the Pharisees, they had this category called Corban, and not, you're not just burdening people with extra commands. Jesus is going after them. 
because they take a command in the law designed to promote family, unity, goodness, health, and blessing, and care. Honor your father and mother. And they nullify it with a command of your own. So honor your father and mother is reversed by their teaching, which when you declare things, Corbin, forbids you from honoring and caring for your father and your mother. It's like this loophole. So Jesus is angry. And he says, and you do many things like that. Their traditions aren't helping them love and serve God. Their traditions are allowing them to reverse things God said to do. Do we have anything like that? God, surely he wouldn't ask me to do that. Look, I know it's in his word. And I know Christians have thought that way and practiced that way for centuries. But surely he wouldn't ask me to do that. Do we have any loopholes that we employ? Well, anyway, we got to move on. I'll let you off the hook. You don't have to stand up and answer. Uh, Jesus calls the crowds then into attention. And he says, listen to me in verse 14. The verb for listen occurs nine times in the Gospel of Mark, and it always comes, what comes next is a pronouncement from Jesus. Faith and understanding come from listening or hearing the words of Jesus. That's something Mark is trying to teach us. We need to listen to him in his word. We need to listen to him in prayer and listen to him in our lives. And Alexander, a few weeks ago, talked to us about dwelling in the vine, dwelling in Jesus' presence. And are we there? Are we doing that? And are we listening to him in our lives? Lives. And Jesus here with the crowds and then later with his disciples makes it clear that what he is interested in is actually the inner impurities which can't be washed away with water. Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it what comes out of a person that defiles them. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. He is interested in the stuff that can't be washed away with water. He wants to talk about the heart. We can perform external rituals and actions to appear one way, but still have impure motives and a dark heart that is far from God and his kingdom and remain untransformed. But if you have a pure or clean heart, that flows out and impacts the externals. So we move on to verse 17. Uh, and it says this. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull? He asked, don't you see that nothing outside, or nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. The disciples don't get it, but Jesus explains to them. And it says he goes into the house. If you look at houses in the Gospel of Mark, uh, you'll find that it's often Jesus gets away from the crowds, goes into a house, and gives revelation to his disciples. He gets them away. The crowds in Mark, they want signs and miracles. Uh, they want to be entertained by Jesus. They're often very fickle, and they have mixed motives, and they don't surrender him to him as Lord as Mark wants us to do. So he calls his disciples away into the house to give them revelation. Are you allowing yourself to be called away, or are you getting sucked in with the noise of the crowd? They don't understand it, but they do get revelation. That should encourage you. Lots of times we don't get it. We're just like the disciples. But listen, this shows us you don't have to be 
perfect and understand it perfectly every time. You just have to be surrendered. And it's about the heart. And he tells them the food doesn't get to the heart. It goes into the stomach and then it goes out of the body. How can that make you unclean? What's in your heart, what's in your inner world, your intentions, the seat of your will and emotion, those are the things that make us unclean. And back to what I shared at the start, what makes us clean or good, right? And why the world is around us full of anxiety, angst, obsessed with external actions that make us good. Why is that? Well, because deep down we know there's actually something wrong with us that Jesus is highlighting here. That stuff comes from inside the heart. Some of the chaos and brokenness of the world, it's not just around us, it's actually in us. And we all have what Augustine called disordered loves. Places where we're longing for good things. But that's gotten like bent or distorted and warped and we've gone looking for God's love and goodness in all the wrong places. So even though the world says, you do you, don't be repressed, don't be uptight, don't be religious, don't be good living. We all know what it's like to live with the sense that there is a brokenness not just on me, but in me. And then Jesus in verse 21 goes on and he actually lists a number of these things. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. And then in verse 23, he says, all these evils come from inside and defile a person. He's saying the problem's not on the outside. It's what's in the heart. That's the issue. Stop looking for external solutions to an internal problem. So what do we do? What do we do? If the problem is on the inside, not on the outside, in our hearts and not what touches our hands, what are we to do? It's really interesting in Mark's gospel. Jesus, his, his whole ministry redefines clean and unclean. He touches unclean things all the time, like lepers, the woman with the issue of blood, sick people, demonized people, dead people. He hangs out with tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes, and Gentiles all the time. Up to where we are now in Mark's gospel, he's done all that and more. And he isn't contaminated by that. They're actually infused with his life. They're healed, they're raised to life, they're brought to faith in the one true God. They become Jesus' followers. They're made clean. He welcomes them near him. And just look at the contrast in chapter 7 and chapter 6 about the marketplace. The Pharisees return from the marketplace in chapter 7, verse 4. And it says they don't eat unless they wash, and they wash everything because they might be contaminated. In chapter 6, Jesus goes into the marketplace. They place those who are ill in the marketplaces. Oh, go back to There we go. Marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. He moves through the marketplace and heals everybody and makes them clean. Unclean things become clean. What if Jesus can make you clean? What if Jesus' goodness can be the basis for your goodness and righteousness? See, all these things in Mark are to get us to ask, who is this Jesus? And all these things, it's building up towards the end of the story where Mark will show us Jesus on a tree 
arms stretched out, dying in our place with the weight of the world's sin and brokenness and disordered loves and all those things that Jesus listed in his list, which are in our hearts as well. All of it was laid upon him as he suffers and dies for us so that those who believe in him and submit to him and follow him might have our hearts and lives cleansed from the inside out. 2 Corinthians 5 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become or have or possess the righteousness of God. We'd be made clean, we'd be made good, we'd be made whole. Only Jesus can produce the inner transformation that the law points to and we all desire. And if we submit to him and learn from him and allow him to lead us, his transformation from the inside out will take place. So what does Jesus, as I come in for a landing, offer this present moment? When we're drowning in anxiety, when we feel like we're lost, you know, as we're told to set our own rules on what our best life is because religion and God, it makes no claim on us, yet we feel the echoes of the truth of Jesus when he says that what makes a person unclean is what's in our heart. To cope with that, then, we do what the Pharisees did. We obsess about the outside, but the inside never changes, and we burn out from using willpower to try and prove ourselves or to make ourselves clean in an ever-changing world without a compass. So what does Jesus offer you? He offers you rest for your soul, forgiveness and cleansing for your heart. He offers you a way of transformation and holiness. He offers you his empowering presence for your life right now as well as deep peace and security radiating out from the inside of you that can be given away as a blessing to the world around you. There might not be a more relevant and powerful message to our culture than that of Jesus of Nazareth who loosens chains and rebukes hypocrites and offers grace to the sinner and the broken and the seeker, which is all of us. Because we've all done the things on the list he gave. And he offers us salvation and mercy and hope and healing and transformation when we put our faith in his death for us and his resurrection life and his present and coming kingdom. In a minute, we're going to pray for you, but I want to welcome our youth gang. Do we have any of our youth guys in? I promised you them. (laughs) Well, I'll list some things to pray for, and if they turn up, great. Richard, that'd be wonderful if they were here. Maybe you could ask them. Not just because I'm waiting for my wonderful assistance. I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Come, Lord. And if you want to begin to follow him, if you want to surrender to him, if you want to step out of the exhausting pursuit of goodness, identity, hope, rightness, accessibility, but doing those things in your own strength, you get to come to Jesus this afternoon and be made clean from the inside out through faith in his death and resurrection. You're gonna get to receive the grace and declaration that you are his made holy and blameless. 
Revelation chapter 1 verse 5 says that Jesus, who loved us and freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. We're going to get a chance to come to Jesus today for the first time or for the hundredth time and recommit our lives to his gracious, gracious way. Looks like my friends are here. Guys, why don't you come on up? Anybody who feels like the Lord has something for our people. So come on up. Guys, would you just warmly welcome them? This is Lynn, our wonderful youth pastor. It's ready to go. Cool. Hi, I'm Lynn, and this is some of my pals here in youth. Um, we have spent this, uh, this afternoon uh, praying for you guys, and so we have um, some words that we would like to, to share with you. Um, if any of these words are for you, then we would love to pray with you um, in a little bit. But I will pass it over to my pals here, and they can tell you a little bit more of what we have heard from God this, this afternoon. So um, we've had a few sections. So first of all, healing. So um, earache, pain in the neck, a sore knee or leg or foot or ankle, um, armpit pain, pain in the thumb or hand, sore eyes, headache, and the, some pictures are like a bow, so made to stand out in a house. So this is home. And then bees. So for things for like life... We have life feels unstable or rocky, and then prayer for peace for that. Grace for um, a faint situation. And then words, submit yourself to the Lord, and it's time to give your life to Jesus. And something about water, tide, slash overflowing. So those, if any of those resonate with anybody, um, our youth are going to be coming alongside the prayer ministry team in a little bit. Um, and so we would just be really encouraged if we could pray with you guys um, because, yeah, we yeah, really feel that these are from God. It is a really, really wonderful afternoon because we have all parts of the body of Christ represented in BCV ministering to one another. And um, uh, to our youth, we're just so blessed for that you've been praying for us, and we're so grateful, and we're excited to have you praying with us now. So um, I am going to invite the Lord's presence. Why don't you stand? And the youth will be praying alongside our other prayer ministry team, so our current prayer ministry team, why don't you come now as well, and we'll be ready. And if we need to, um, we'll clear some chairs out front. We'll do the old-fashioned vineyard style and clear the chairs because God's people want to be in God's presence. Um, And if any of those things that they called out um, are something that you want prayer for, then let's get prayer. If something in the talk resonated with you, I particularly want to pray for you if you feel tormented by corrosive perfectionism but all of us need the grace mercy peace and joy of Jesus we've all tried to make ourselves clean when what we need to do is run to him and recognize that at the cross he made a way for us to be clean 
from the inside out and to be with him forever. And if you have just never had a chance to give Jesus your full-hearted yes, I'm going to submit my life, I'm going to follow you. Or if you feel like you need to recommit to that, we would so love to help you do that this afternoon. Holy Spirit, we thank you for the precious gospel of Mark and for the word to us. We repent for where we've tried to make ourselves clean. I pray you would come now and begin to minister to us, begin to set us free from that type of thinking. I pray that you would visit those who are exhausted from trying to be good or appear to be good. And that we might truly know that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. So we ask for your presence and your power. And we thank you that there is powerful things happening in the baby rooms and in the other children's rooms, certainly in our youth rooms, and even in this room. We thank you for this kind of beautiful community. Pray for your presence and your power to be upon us. Amen. We're going to officially be done here, but there is a wonderful ministry team here, and they would love to pray for you. Don't miss this opportunity to get prayer. God bless you. Have a wonderful rest of your weekend. Don't forget to collect your other children, but don't let uh, small space up here uh, put you off. We're going to start clearing some chairs out so you can get prayer if you want to. God bless you. Have a great rest of your weekend. Thanks for listening to this message. For all the latest information about what's happening in the life of our church, or if you have any questions or comments, head over to BelfastCityVineyard.com.